Luke 5, 1 through 11, or 27 through 32. Jesus calls the first disciples. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put him a little from land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boats. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets to catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish And their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, and so so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. And we jump to verse 27. This is where Jesus calls Levi. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he arose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. With them, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, but, uh, no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Father God, as we dive into the text, um, may it pierce our hearts. May it challenge us to something greater and bolder and um, larger uh, than uh, we limit ourselves to. Uh, Lord, may it challenge us to look outward um, as we humble ourselves inward. In your son's name, amen. So remember how far we've come or where we've come. The spirit of the Lord is with Jesus. He resides in Christ and Christ obeys the commands of his father and begins to administer to the poor. And remember, we talked about the poor a couple times. It's not just the economic poor. So when I say poor, sixth graders, I'm not talking about just those who are, you know, broke. Um, Those who are trapped by their economic station, their family station, their vocation or workstation, their poor decisions, their sin, Jesus came for those. So the poor in a context of the first century context is just as much the widow The orphan, the invalid, um, those who are poor in health, those are the poor, the impoverished. Those who can't help themselves and know that they need help in overcoming their circumstance. And he chooses disciples, his closest workers, from the same types of people. It's interesting. He chooses his disciples from those who are poor in some capacity. Notice that Simon Peter and the sons of Zebedee are from the working class. They're not from the elites. They work awful hours. Remember how he says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. They have no power and little influence. And even what they are doing, they don't seem to be very good at. I mean, they caught nothing. Their job is to catch fish. And they ended up fishing all night and caught nothing. They're not even very good at the jobs. 
And that is who Jesus, the God of the universe, asks to work with. This seems to be the theme with all his workers in the Old Testament too. Think about the Old Testament, who God chooses to work with. Sarah, a barren elderly woman. Jacob, the second born swindler. For all the second borns, don't freak out. Moses, a murderer and deserter. Davis, the young, David, the youngest of shepherds. Solomon, a child born out of adultery. Jonah, a coward and a racist. A Jew in the kingdom of Babylon. Esther, a Jew in the kingdom of Babylon. And now Simon Peter and the sons of thunder. Fishermen. And Levi, a tax collector. People that were either looked down upon or were hated because of their station. But it is the response by each, including those Old Testament figures to the gall of God, except maybe in the case of Jonah, that catches their hearts. They respond in humility, which is my first point today. Number one, respond in humility. Y'all need a yak sheet? That one? You can take notes on it if you want. So respond in humility. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out your into the deep and let your down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners to the other boat to come and help them. And they came in the fish, and they filled both boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on Jesus, at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him astonished the catch of fish that they had taken. See, there are two types of people in the world. There are two. First are those who don't have it all under control. It's the first type of people. The second are people who live under the illusion that they do. Those are the only two types of people. Which category do you think Peter is in? I mean, I could. Can't you imagine Peter responding like this? Hey, buddy. Uh, I know you're friends with John the Baptist and all, but uh, I know these waters. I fish here regularly. I can tell you, there ain't nothing right now. I don't know why I made Peter a New York. I don't know why. If I thought I could catch the stuff during the day, I promise you I would be out here doing regular working hours. But the sun is up, and I've been working at this all night. You be the preacher, I be the fisherman. I mean, can't you just see... Peter saying that? Some some preacher walks in. Dude, okay, let me show you how to fish. Let me tell you what you're doing. But no, he doesn't. He doesn't respond like that. Let's face it. No one likes to be told how to do their job, especially if they think they do it well. But our response should be humility. It's the one thing for people to question how we do our jobs, but it's a whole other thing for people to question how we live. Isn't it? Fact is, when we look at ourselves in the mirror most days, we do our best to convince ourselves that we're good people. It's the reason we play the compare game without others. Well, I'm not like them. We would love to think that we are just as good, but Peter makes it clear. So, how does Peter respond to being challenged from his job and then being proven right? He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. His heart knows he is poor. His heart knows it. Lord, why are you even hanging around me? Like, I'm not, I'm not worthy of you. I'm not worthy of your attention. I'm not worthy for you to borrow my boat. Depart from me. 
But these words ring loud in my mind. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Peter, at this moment, is in awe of Jesus. He's in awe of Jesus. And this isn't the first time they've met. We know from earlier that he was around when Jesus was was with John the Baptist. We know that earlier he saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law. And now Jesus could tell even the fish to jump into the nets. So he falls on his knees. He, a Jew, who never dropped to his knees for anyone, even a Roman who demanded it, he fell on his knees and was in awe. Awe brings us to a sense of humility. Now let me make clear this one thing, what humility is not. Boys, pay attention. Humility is not thinking you are a loser. Humility is not thinking you are a loser. William Temple, in his book, Christ and His Church, says this. It's your first fill in the blank, so I'll say it twice. Humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than of other people. Nor does it mean having a low opinion of your gifts. It means freedom from thinking about yourself one way or the other at all. Humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than of other people. Nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It means freedom from thinking about yourself one way or the other at all. I could dwell on that quote for a while. Because I think we so easily play the compare game. Peter was free to swallow his pride and cast the net over the side of the boat for whatever number of time he had in the past 12 hours. And his freedom allowed him to enjoy his fruits. Same too for Levi. His response is immediate. He could have continued to collect money, but he knew the cost of that. And the cost was too much. As it says in verse 28, and leaving everything, he gave up everything probably including the house he was about to hold a party at later in the chapter. But to what? But for what did Levi and Peter give up everything that they have and leave? And that's point two. And that is they they responded to freedom. Remember how we talked about liberty a lot last week? That was kind of the main theme. Christ comes to bring liberty. Another word for liberty is simply freedom. It's this theme is made clear again. It is to freedom that Christ brings. Here comes liberty again. Christ gives us freedom. Freedom to not be defined by the job that we have, the station of life that we have, the power that we have, the clique at school that we have, the group of friends that we have at you know, one club or organization or another to be the best soprano or alto inquire, to be the worst bass or tenor inquire. We are free from those restraints that other people and ourselves put on ourselves so that we can properly play the compare game with everyone else, thinking that that is the treadmill that we're supposed to be running on. It is not. Christ has set you free to freedom from that. Look at the reaction by the Pharisees as they play the compare game. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at the disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The fact is we constantly trap ourselves in the compare game and make our value based on the actions of others. Others who are also in the compare game. When we compare ourselves to our creator, we have no choice but to be humble. And ironically, that is what sets us free. 
Ironically, that's what does it. William Beebe, the naturalist, used to tell this story about Teddy Roosevelt, or Theodore Roosevelt, a president. But what? At Sagamore Hill, after an evening of talk, the two would go out on the lawn and search the skies for a certain spot of star-like light near the lower left-hand corner of the great square of Pegasus. Then Roosevelt would recite, That is the spiral galaxy in Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one in a hundred million galaxies. It consists of one hundred billion suns, each larger suns, each larger than our own sun. Then Roosevelt would grin and say, Now, I think we are small enough. Let's go to bed. Just to be reminded of his place in the universe. What freedom we find when we're being honest. Honest that we are in control. Honest that we have to cling to the one who is. And we have that freedom. Uh, and uh, if when we have that freedom, one of its fruits, fruits is our next response, which is the next fill in the blank. Okay, if you're an introvert in here, and you're like me, you like everything up to this point. Okay, you're like, yeah, freedom. This is great. Hey, this is awesome. I like freedom. And so humility and freedom, if I put those two together, means I can humbly sit in my room alone and read a book all the time, right? Like, I don't have to play the compare game except anyone between is Narnia better or is Middle Earth better. Like, that's the compare game I get to play, right? So I'm going to frustrate some of you as we move into point three, okay? Because it doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert or an extra introvert. Like, it it doesn't... We're going to talk it through. But we respond by giving freedom. We respond by giving freedom. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. For now and you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Levi goes further, and Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. Levi literally throws a house party for those who are in the same position of himself. He invites Jesus and his disciples. These type of parties were very common in Roman society. Food would be served and a teacher would teach at the table. Here Jesus shares liberty in an intimate setting with those that the elites consider garbage. I know. The elites consider garbage. The elites considered tax collectors even beneath Jesus himself. And they wonder why he stoops down to their level. Why, does, why do you even interact with these people? This is the next fill in the blank. Because you can't help someone else, you can't help someone up if they think they if they think they are the one standing up over you. Because you can't help someone up if they think that they are the one standing over you. Does that make sense? No, I can't help them up because well, I'm above. The, you know, you can't help them. And that is what humility does. It's the fuel in our evangelism car. It's the heat for our popcorn kernels. It's the water in the desert oasis. Next fill in the blank. If you don't have humility, we can't grant freedom. We just sink those around us. If we don't have humility, we can't grant freedom. We just sink those around us. 
following story appeared in a Closer Walk devotional magazine in 1991. In the summer of 1986, I was one, two ships collided in the Black Sea off the coast of Russia. Hundreds of passengers died as they were hurled into the icy waters below. (coughs) News of the disaster was further darkened when an investigation revealed the cause of the accident. It wasn't a technology problem like radar malfunction or even thick fog. The cause was human stubbornness. Each captain was aware of the other ship's presence nearby. Both could have steered clear, but according to news reports, neither captain wanted to give way to the other. Each was too proud to yield first. By the time they came to their senses, it was too late. How many times do we fake humility with those around us and run headfirst into conflict? How many times do we run away from being humble, but it leads to issues? I mean, think about it with your brothers and sisters. Like, How many times could conflict be avoided if you just... If this thought didn't cross your mind, well, I deserve it. So therefore, I'm going to fight them for it. If that crosses your mind, you might have a humility problem. Conflict could be avoided if we became peacemakers, followers of Jesus, instead of those who run headfirst into not doing humility. The opposite is true. When we put ourselves in a position of being open to criticism or looking weak, it allows others to hear our words. This is the next, this fill in the blank is so key. Humility opens the door to grant freedom to others. Humility opens the door to grant freedom to others. Many years ago, Christian professor Stuart Blackie of the University of Edinburgh was listening to his students as they presented oral readings. When one young man rose to begin his recitation, he held his book in the wrong hand. The professor thundered, Take your book in your right hand and be seated. And at this harsh rebuke, the student held up his right arm. He didn't have a right hand. The other students shifted uneasily in their chairs. For a moment, the professor hesitated. Then he made his way to the student, put his arm around him, and with tears streaming from his eyes said, I never knew about it. Please, will you forgive me? His humble apology made a lasting impact on that young man. The story was told sometime later in a large gathering of believers. At the close of the meeting, a man came forward, turned to the crowd, and raised his right arm. It ended at the rest. He said, I am the student. Professor Blackie led me to Christ. But he never could have done it if he had not made the wrong right. If he had not made the wrong right. If he had not humbled himself in front of all his students and accepted what he had done wrong. What stubbornness do you keep that keeps you from enjoying Christ? How do you humble yourself? Humble yourself by acknowledging your sin. It's one of the reasons we go to church every week is to confess our sins before God. To bring us to a state of humility. To remind us that we really don't have it all together. Repent of your sin to lead to freedom. That's how you got to do it. Confess it humbly. Repent of it. And then rinse, repeat, and reproduce that same freedom in yourself daily and with others.